Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Alright. Well, good morning. Are you guys ready? Uh, I think I'm ready. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. Um, We're, this morning, going to be in John 6. Uh, specifically verses uh, 35 through 71. I'm covering a fair amount of text today. Um, and I, I want to say, Jesus has said some difficult things. Would we all agree that he has said some things that uh, are hard, hard <laughs> literally hard to swallow? That's a pun on what we're reading today. Uh, I stole that from the end of my thing. I should have just gone with what I had. Um, over and over again, he raises the bar of what it means to follow him. And I think this is what uh, life as, or I should say, the journey of a believer looks like. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to what you know. And you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And as you move forward, there's things in your life that he'll go, mm, we need to work on this, we need to work on that. He'll, he'll say hard things to you. And our response to those hard things will determine how our life goes, period. Here's some hard things that he said, just a few. Uh, He told a rich man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and follow him. He told a man to let his dead father be buried by other dead people. I'm paraphrasing, but it's in there. Um, this isn't what he said, but this is an action he did, which was hard. He spit in people's faces. Not out of disrespect, but out of, out of healing. We've talked about that before. Um, he said that if you have been angry or have experienced lustful thoughts, then you have already committed murder and adultery. Woo-hoo. Yep. <laughs> he said, here's another one. This one... Uh, I think it's in Matthew 18. Um, He said, if your hand or eye causes you to stumble, that you should cut it off or pluck it out. Everybody got their hands? Should everybody have their hands? Anyway, (laughs) you should, because he's speaking metaphorically and uh, more of the idea than the actual act of. Uh, He said that he was the Son of God, and that he and the Father were one, which was a tough act, or a tough pill to swallow uh, for those that were listening to this. How many in this room, and we've talked about this a little bit, understand that context is essential? And I'm not going to deconstruct all of those, uh, but they should be. We should look at those. Of course, we're not, if our eye causes to sin, we all have our eyeballs unless, you know, they were medically removed for some medical reason. We're not to pluck them out, but God is speaking through Jesus things that we need to do. And so here, here's my one thing that I want you to hear today. And I, I rewrote this. So I'm going to give you both of them. My first one was, what's in, what's, uh, what you consume matters. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and then I reworded it in uh, Dear Worship as, uh, what's in you matters, which I think both are basically the same thing. 
Uh, So before we get into his word, let's pray. God, we need ears to hear. You said over and over again, he that has ears, let him hear. And Lord, let us acknowledge our need to hear from you this morning before we read a word of your text. Lord, we acknowledge that we need you. We acknowledge that there's things in us that we need you to invade. Lord, we need you to speak this morning. Lord, we're in trouble if you don't speak and we don't listen. So help us today know that what you offer is the best for us. And let us humbly accept and acknowledge and step into what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the fun part of John 6 is that Jesus starts out with over 5,000 people following him. Well over, because he feeds the 5,000 at the beginning of chapter 6. So, and that's just the men that they counted. So there's probably eight, ten thousand 10,000 people that are following Jesus to hear what he has to say. And he's preaching to them. They're seeing miracles of him. By the end of chapter 6, he has 12. And really, we'll say 11, because Judas was of them, but not a part of them, if that makes sense. And in the middle of that feeding of 5,000, he sends his disciples across in a boat. And he says, you know, just go ahead, I'll catch up with you. And he catches up with them on the water, literally walking on it. And right before the conversation that we're going to jump into, the people follow Jesus to the other side of the thing, and they realize that he didn't get on the boat, but he's there, and they're like, how did you get here? But they're still following Jesus. So I'm going to give you two verses before we get into 36. Because it's, it's a slow fade. He starts telling them a truth, and they struggle with the beginning of him telling the truth. When he, it's, it's, it's um, spoken to them in a, a less confrontational way. They're still having issues with it. And then he goes to saying it very aggressively um, towards the end. So in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered them. This is because they're following him and they're like, where are you at? And he's, he's dealing with this idea of they're just after him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So he's beginning to say that. He's telling them, there's some of you that are after me just because you got food in your stomach. Some of you are after me just because you saw me heal someone else and you want to see this parade of things that are happening but he's saying don't work for things that don't matter and he's building this i had a conversation uh in college i was not drunk by the way just for the record this person i just want to frame this correctly this person that i was talking to was drunk and i don't know how in the conversation uh it came up that i was a christian and this was the text. So in the text that we're going to cover today, 
Um, Jesus literally said, if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, you can be, you know, you don't have eternal life. And he was like, you got the vampire. He may, he tells you you got to eat. I mean, and I had like a 20 minute conversation with this very belligerent, very drunk student. I mean, I was a student also. We were the same age. And I was just like, I, you know, there's no logic that's going to bring him into understanding. I'm like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, okay. But he had, outside of his drunkenness, had a struggle with this idea, which so did the Jews. So here we go in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I love the Beatitudes. Uh, we're actually going to do a series in the fall specifically on the Beatitudes. But Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is kind of what he's doing to the people that are listening to him. He's trying to find the people that are really at hungry for what he's giving them. Verse 36, it says, But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me, he, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Does that sound familiar from last week in John 3? The bronze serpent where Jesus was comparing Himself to what Moses did in the desert. Verse 41. says, The Jews grumbled about Him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, I love this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? It's funny comparing the two stories because he's going to reference uh, manna, um, that was eaten in the desert while the people of God were wandering there. But grumbling against God typically doesn't work in our favor. It didn't work in the favor of those who were following Moses when they grumbled, like we just mentioned a second ago. One of their grumblings left snakes to bite them uh, and die unless they looked at the bronze servant. Uh, sometimes some of their grumblings ended up with them in a hole. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happened when they murmured and complained about what God wanted to do through them. Verse 46, or 43, it says, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father has, who sent me draws him, and I will rise him up on the last day. <clears throat> it is written in the prophets. And they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, referring to himself. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. The eating of the manna in the wilderness was meant to lead to faith. It wasn't faith in itself because it was right there before them. And after the first person took a bite of it and didn't die of it and had nourishment, it was like, okay, this is what we do. But it was meant to, and the reason why I feel that God did that for 40 years with them, He wanted them to understand that I will provide. It may not be what you want. It may not be meat. And they complained about that, and they murmured about that, and God dealt with them in that. But I will, every morning, I will provide for you. And it took 40 years to imprint in their DNA, or should have, that I'm going to be there. And he's saying that what should have led them to life, which is trying to take in the promised land, they're grumbling and complaining and not trusting and not believe them, led them to death. 51. It says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give him will <clears throat> give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's getting to this place. I mean, he's going to very plainly say it. But he's getting to this place of, of trying to get them to understand that I have to die. I have to sacrifice myself. And then I'm going to give my blood and I'm going to give my flesh and those who believe in it will have life. See, Jesus right here is just dipping his toe in. He's getting ready to do a cannonball into the, into the, into the deep end. The 52. It says, The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one eats of the Son of Man and drinks of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You have to understand, he's speaking to a people that have been told for generations that they cannot eat meat with blood in it. Blood is, is, not, is unclean. And here is this teacher, and he's saying this in a synagogue, by the way, which you'll clear that up in just a second. So he's saying this in church, in their church. He's saying this with all the people, and he's telling them that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which I'm going to just tell you, that sounds really weird. Like, I'm not going to like, oh, no, no, if you understand, yes, if you get to that place of understanding, it's, it makes sense, but... They don't understand what he's doing. Even his disciples didn't know about the cross. And he's telling them they knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they still were missing out on what he was going to do. They were clueless. So the people that were listening to him in the synagogue weren't going, yes, he's speaking about the future of when he raises from the dead. And we're going to trust in that sacrifice. No, they're saying, how in the world... Are we to come up right now if we want to live forever? Do we just come and take a bite out of Jesus? It'd be like, hey, guys, if you guys want to live forever, just come and eat the, you know, like, take a bite. It's weird. And he's going to clarify this a little bit. 
But I think, honestly, I think if you follow Jesus, he will over and over again challenge the way you view him. Because some of the views that we have of Jesus in our brains right now aren't correct. And I know, after 20-some years of following Jesus, the the 19-year-old of me didn't know very much about Jesus. And the 45-year-old me knows more than the 19-year-old of me, but he still has lots that God is constantly going, well, how about this? How about this? And I think... That is the journey that God has us on. If we're not in a place that we're not challenged by some of the things that are going on in our life, we're probably not following Jesus very closely. We're probably not inviting him into things that we need to be confronted by. Because this is what we do. Because surrender to a Lord means we, we relinquish our rights to decide what is good for us anymore. And we look to him, and when he says something, we go, now first we need to understand it so we're not plucking off our eyes or cutting off our hands. We need to understand what he's saying, but we, to the best of our ability, need to become that. And I'm just going to tell you, there's some things in our life that we know aren't Jesus. They aren't groomed from him. They aren't grown from him. They aren't fruits of his spirit that we're allowing to sit in our life that we need to deal with. Because I believe... We're going to take communion at the end of this. I believe that we're constantly meant to be reminded that it is that that brings us life. And as we continue to remind ourselves that that brings life, then we need to understand that there's things that are leading our life to death, that we're experiencing death right now in relationships, in sin, and other things that we just have to, we have to confront, we have to deal with. Verse 55, it says, For my flesh is true food, true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I am him. Does that sound familiar? I am the vine, you are the branches. Any man remain in me, and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 57, it says, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. And whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that come down from heaven. Not like the bread that our fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And you wonder... Why they wanted to kill him. I mean, Jesus was going to that cross. Nothing was going to stop it. And phrases like this is what led him to that cross. They were terrified of this, what they thought was a new teaching, which it really wasn't a new teaching. It was just a misunderstanding of what God had been telling them the whole time. So he leaves the synagogue, and in verse 60, it says, Many of his disciples heard it, what he just said. And they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Many of his disciples heard 
him say this and said to themselves, how can we listen to this? Who can listen to it? Verse 61, it says, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense to this? Then what if you see, because he's telling them the future, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. This is good right here. The flesh is no help at all. This is why we talk about, and the Bible talks about all the time, life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit leads to life. Life in the flesh leads to death. Get some Romans 8. I'm going to just read that later at your own time. But that, that's the truth. Our, our flesh, and, and, and I can't remember which one of Paul's letters it was where he was like, basically, like, did you, did you do this yourself? Like, do you bring life to yourself? Like, how are you going to continue to make, how do you think you're going, what you didn't start on your own power, how do you think you're going to continue it and make it better? By your own flesh and by your own power. But the truth is, many of us, live in this life that we're trusting in our flesh to help us be good followers of Jesus. It says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And I say this a lot, what he's getting ready with in these parentheses, for Jesus knew from the beginning, just let that settle, who those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. From the beginning, he has known from the day that he picked Judas which one was going to betray him. He knew. Verse 65, and it says, And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I love Simon Peter. As much as he gets things wrong, The man tries really hard to get it right. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One from God. Is that so with us? Because you're going to be challenged. I'm telling you, I believe in the days and years to come in our country, in this world, this easy believism is going to be gone. You're going to have to make a choice of whether Jesus is worth it or not. And I believe that there are a lot of people that will turn from Jesus. Now, whether they were his or not his, I'm not here to argue. I don't know. But I believe at one point in our lifetime, you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. I mean, really follow him. Right now, it's easy. Like, no one's, we're not hiding in here. 
Any government official, like no government official is going to come in here and shut us down. <laughs> yeah, now. But we can do this. We, we can have a prayer meeting tonight. We can do all of these things that we're doing. We can go out and share Jesus in the street. That's going to change. And now is the season when it is not difficult for us to press in and trust Jesus. Because it's just like, I was not a warrior, meaning I didn't go to the military, but the military spends all of this time training their soldiers to do something that they will do in the future. Why do they do that? So that when they get to that place, they'll respond the way they should. They go through all of these trainings and all of these, which seem, you know, my book reading is about my only understanding of this, but they go through all of these things and they make them do all these little things over and over and over and over and over again, taking apart their gun, doing all these things, rucking here, rucking there, doing all of these things so that when they get to it, they can do the thing that they've been trained to do. So what are you training for? I heard a phrase the other day, um, Somebody has this workout, and they, their catchphrase was, be gas station ready. And I was like, what does that mean? And um, I Googled it before I asked, because I didn't want to be sound stupid if it was something, like, well-known. Uh, and there's a, a website called The Art of Manliness, and there's an article on it. And it's basically this idea that, like, if you get, if you're pumping your gas with your family in a car and some hooligans come up to try to, you know, whatever are you ready to defend yourself with if you need and i believe that in this stage we need to be preparing for what's coming because we don't know that these crazy things you don't we don't know when they're going to come like in my lifetime in my 45 years it's not been that way here in the south that i've lived but you know there are pastors in Uh, And I'm not speaking to whether this is right or wrong. I don't know all the details, but there's pastors that are getting arrested because they're having their congregation meet and are spending time in jail because of that, because of COVID. And um, like I said, I don't know all the details to that, but there's going to be a season that this is going to change. The last two verses that we'll go through, 70 and 71, is Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? My sovereign will. Did I not call the twelve to you? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. In the middle of this, I I, I love that in the middle of all of this chaos, in the middle of Jesus calling them to something greater He's letting them know that he's aware of everything that's going on. He's aware. He knows the one that's going to betray him, even as he's calling people into this deeper path of following him. So here's a couple of things just to stir before we take our communion. Do you trust all of Jesus' words? Even the hard ones. Because I think it was Thomas Jefferson, and forgive me if I'm wrong, one of the founding fathers, uh, he didn't like some of the things that uh, the Bible had. 
And he literally cut them out. He, didn't, he cut out the ones that he didn't like, and he made his own. I think if I'm wrong on it was. And so he, he's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. And, and he made his own little, like, I, this is the things I like about Jesus. And I feel like a lot of us do the same thing. We're like, we love the loving Jesus. But Jesus pretty clearly, even in the text that we cover today, saying, I'm the only place that life is going to come from. So do you trust his words? And here's another question for the, for the honest ones of us. Which ones are you struggling with? Because we, we have to acknowledge. We can't just like ignore. We can ignore things until they come to the surface. But I'm telling you, they're going to come to the surface. And would you answer like Peter and say, your words are the words of life? To be honest, I think there's a lot of things that we're looking to for life that aren't giving it. And we do it. I do it. Because it feels good in that moment, whatever that is. Maybe it's an encouraging phrase from someone else or something. For his words, life for us. And my last question, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And I'm framing this in the way he wrote it. So what are you eating and drinking? Because what you consume matters. For any of those in the room that have ever dieted, ever tried to control calorie intake, you will understand that what you put in your mouth makes a big deal. What you consume matters. And so spiritually, you know, to be completely honest, not that I'm against us being in great physical health, but your spiritual health is so much more important. Because honestly, most of our physical issues, reasons why we look at food the way we do, really have a spiritual side to it. Things that we're not dealing with on our own end. And so the more that God, we can release to God some of these things, the more freedom we'll have the ability to walk in. So what does it look like to eat and drink of Jesus? It means, I mean, we're literally going to take communion and we're, we're going to consume these elements that are a representation of Jesus' body and blood. But eating and drinking is being in his word, living in the spirit, choosing to allow what he wants to do and you to have some authority. Because if you're not in his word, there's no eating or drinking. It's just memory, and our memory is tainted. Because we'll be like Thomas Jefferson and remember only the things that we feel like we're doing good on, and we'll forget all the things that Jesus has been like here. You know, he, he says his words like a two-edged sword. It cuts through bone and marrow, and we, we've got to be in it. And this is why I over and over again encourage you to be on a Bible reading plan. And if you want to up that game, then invite somebody else into that same Bible reading plan and talk about the Word. And if you want to up your game even more, go, there, are, there are free online classes that you can take about text, understanding Scripture. There's so many resources out there. And I, I would say be careful. <laughs> I mean, of course. 
Uh, don't trust everything that's on the web, but I mean, there's a lot of good resources that you can get into. And so my, uh, if you go ahead and peel back the first, there's a little wafer. And then there's a second one that you peel back, which is your juice. This is an act that is done for believers. You don't have to be a member here at this church. This is something that Jesus asked for his followers to do because we need to be reminded. But he also, actually Paul in 1 Corinthians, said we need to make sure that we're, we're dealing with what's going on inside of us. If we've got unrepented, unconfessed sin going on in our life, which you know I don't, you should deal with that. You should right now lay it before the feet of Jesus and say, I'm sorry for this. Acknowledge it. Because this is the freedom that God wants us to have. His body and blood shed for us. And so we're going to take this on our own in just a minute. I just want you to be ready. Because I want you, as we go into worship, I want you to deal with you. I want you to deal with what's going on inside of you because... We can treat these like they're just this other thing that we do at church. We can treat these like it's just this, you know, like, you know, eh, I did it growing up. You know, like I was part of communion in the little cups and did the stuff and I had no acknowledgement. I wasn't thinking that this little wafer cost my Lord and Savior his very life. And why did it cost him his very life? Because I was in darkness, and the only way for me to come into the light was believing in this sacrifice for this body to be broken. In the blood, all throughout the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice that had to be made to fix temporarily our sin issue. And Jesus became that sacrifice once and for all. Blood had to be shed. Hebrews said, don't be deceived. There will be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. His blood for you. So I'm going to pray for us. I encourage you. Like, you take as long as you want this worship song. If you want to take it right when the worship song begins or at the end, you. But I encourage you to be still for just a minute. Let worship start. And just have a conversation with the Father. Just tell him how. I mean, if, if nothing else, if you feel like, man, I, I've, I've really been good at telling Jesus my issues, maybe today before you take communion is just acknowledging how amazing he is to us, how much he loves us. And this is a reminder of his love. When you don't feel it, this is proof that he loved you even when before the Father he wanted any other way than the cross. He still chose it because he was about being obedient. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.